Well, thank you, Doug, for reading God's Word for us. Now, please, everybody, look at your watches. I want you to see what time it is. Yes, it is 25 after 10. And I'm going to make you a promise. You're going to get out of church late this morning. (laughs) But beginning next week, you're going to get spoiled because I have listened to Scott Boger preach. And uh, he is a master at uh, ending on time. And so you won't have to do this again for a while, okay? One of the things that I appreciate about the pastor that uh, God has called here is that Scott values God's Word. He, he truly is a man of the Word of God. He, he loves to study the Word. You can, you can tell that by his preaching. And uh, he, he just, uh, God has enabled him to put his messages together, and I know he's going to be a great blessing to this church. And Susie is such a warm lady, and um, I want to just pray for them at the beginning of this sermon before we get into the Word of God. Lord, uh, we thank you for what you're going to be doing in the life of this fellowship. Beginning this coming week, you have called a, a new servant here, Lord, to serve your people and to work with the elders. And as he works with them and as they work with him, this pastor, shepherd, elder that you've called, Lord, we just pray that your hand will be on his life and that your hand will be on the life of uh, his wife, Susie. Lord, I pray that you'll give him great favor with this church, that they will just bond together and uh, that they will serve you together with energy and excitement. And we pray in the words of this song, which Candy sang this morning, that there would be many that would be reached that do not know our Lord Jesus Christ because of what you want to do in this church, family, in and through your people here in the hill towns in the days ahead. And so we just put what's going to happen here in the next few days into your hands. We thank you, Lord, in your sovereignty for for directing Scott here, uh, for getting his attention for speaking through his brother. It's just such an incredible story how he even heard about uh, the need here and how you prepared him. We thank you for what you've done through uh, Don and and Ruth who are sitting here today. And as Ruth calls uh, Scott and Susie, the kids. (laughs) Uh, They're not kids, Lord. Uh, They're mature people, but they've got energy. And they've come here to serve you. And we just ask that you would be with them, Lord, as they come. In Jesus' name we pray this prayer. Amen. How many of you saw um, the television show, The A-Team, back in the 1980s? I'm just curious. Many of you then know what I'm getting ready to describe. When our children are younger... Elizabeth and I could hardly wait to get them in bed and turn on the television to watch the A-Team. And as I remember that motley crew, you remember their names, John Hannibal Smith, Mad Dog Murdoch, Mr. T is B.A. Baracus, and then there was that crazy person, Face Man, 
They were a motley team of people that were always coming to the rescue of somebody. And we could hardly wait from week to week to turn into the television show to see what was going to happen next and who they were going to rescue. Great television series. According to Yahoo survey in 2003 of uh, 1,000 television view, among 1,000 television viewers, the A team was the one oldie, stay, oldie uh, TV television show which people wanted to see brought back uh, the most out of all the other shows. Now, what's the point? Well, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about God's A team. And you remember from Ezekiel chapter 14, in verse 14 and then again in verse 20, God names his big three there in the Old Testament. And you remember who they were, Noah, Daniel, and Job, God's A-team. And they were a motley group of people. They weren't perfect, and they were different. And we've spent time over the last couple of weeks now looking at Noah, and we looked at Daniel... And now this morning, we're not going to look at Job. We're not going to look at the third person on that A-team, the third member of the big three. Instead, this morning, I want to look at a man who is less familiar in Scripture, somebody who we really don't know much about him. In fact, some of you maybe have never heard his name. His name is Shamgar. And if you listed all of the men and women in the in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, then he would probably make God's least of all of these list. He would be one of the little three if uh, we were to put him on some kind of a list this morning. And yet God chose to use him in a very significant way. He's only mentioned in a couple of verses in the book of Judges. In Judges 3.31, we read these words, After him was Shamgar, speaking of Ehud, the judge that just preceded him, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Now, Shamgar was one of 13 judges mentioned in this book, which Doug just read the second chapter who God called and used to rescue Israel in a very difficult time in their nation's history. And in order to understand the significance of his life, you need to understand the days in which he served God, thus the importance of this passage of Scripture, which Doug just read. Because this gives you the framework, this gives you the context The story behind the story, it gives you uh, a feel for the circumstances present in Israel when God called Shamgar to rescue his people. And so I want to look at this passage of Scripture just briefly before we look at Shamgar's life and his calling for a moment this morning. And it's a picture of Israel's rebellion Because Israel was straying from God. And we have five words now that are coming up on the screen. And if you can remember these five words, you might want to write them down if you didn't get the notes when you came in today. 
If you can remember these five words, or if you can remember four verses, which I'll mention in a moment, then you will remember the message of the book of Judges, the content of this book. And the first word which we can use to describe the nation of Israel when Shamgar came on the scene was that the nation was straying in their relationship with God. If you have your Bible open, or if you get your scripture on your phone, however you get it, turn to Judges chapter 2, verses 7 and 10. I want to read these verses for you. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 tells us, They served the Lord all of the days of Joshua and all of the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all of the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. But then there arose, the Bible tells us in verse 10, another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so if you remember the verses which Doug just read for us and the rest of chapter 2 here, you have this very graphic picture of Israel beginning to stray in their relationship with the Lord. And they no longer follow his commands as, as they did in the days of Joshua. And whenever they strayed in their relationship with the Lord, then they began to serve. And that's the second key word here. They began serving other gods, and they began serving other people. And so we've given you a number of verses there in the second page of your notes this morning, and I hope that you'll take these home and that you'll look all of these verses up because it's a repetitious pattern of what happened among the people of God in the Old Testament. As they would stray in their relationship with the Lord... They began to be in bondage to the gods around them rather than the freedom of serving the one true God. And so that was their situation. And you see this repeated pattern and description of Israel throughout this book. They were repeatedly following into bondage, serving these other gods and the people around them. And we have this phrase, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you look these verses up, you see this phrase repeated over and over again. It's almost like a a dog returning to its vomit. They were just repeatedly falling into sin, serving other gods and straying in their relationship with the Lord. And so the next key word is, as they would fall into bondage, serving other gods and the bondage of being imprisoned by the people around them, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all of these other nations that surrounded Israel, they begin to sorrow. And that's what happens when you experience the pain of the consequences of sinful choices that you make in your life. They begin to cry out to God to deliver them. And you can identify with this because the truth is We're not much different than the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, are we? 
If you could take a life, uh, a, a look at my life, and I'm not proud of it, but there are so many times during the course of the week, and I appreciated what David had to share this morning as he led us through the praise and worship time. There are so many times that I, I slip and I fall during the week, and, you know, I, I've, I've confessed it before, but I'm just going to tell you again, I don't treat my wife 24-7 the way I should treat her. And in the prayer group this week that I'm a part of, I asked your pastors to pray for me because we're about ready to murder each other. We're getting ready to move. And I said, would you guys pray for me that I will love my wife well and that I won't get impatient with her? But that's part of serving the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Loving your wife well and and not becoming impatient with her. Worship is 24-7. It's serving the Lord Jesus Christ when we walk out of here today. And we all blow it. We all fall. And so we're, we're, we're not much different than the nation of Israel. They would stray and then they'd fall into bondage. And then they'd realize what they'd done. Ah, and they'd begin to cry out to God to deliver them because our sinful choices have consequences which often result in pain in our lives. And they would fall into pain. And they begin to experience these consequences. And if you read chapter, or pardon me, not chapter two, but page two of your notes, we've given you a number of other verses there. I hope you'll take them home. You'll do your own Bible study. And you'll see repeatedly this phrase, they begin to cry out, cry out to God to deliver them because they realized they needed to be rescued. Look at verse 15 in Judges chapter 2, the verses which were read for us this morning. And notice that word distress. That Hebrew word distress means to be pressed or to be in the grip of a vice. It means that you're under immense stress or pressure, and that's the consequence of sin. You end up in a vice, in bondage, in a situation that you'd prefer not to be in because you've gone down a road that you know God didn't want you to go down. And so they would experience distress. Now notice verse 18 in chapter 2, the scripture which was read for us. What did they do when they were in distress? They began to groan. Elizabeth has the privilege of listening to me groan because I still have a bad shoulder. And I'm going to get it fixed when I get back to the Midwest. You know, you get older and you start groaning a little bit because you develop aches and pains. That's what happens when you get older. And I see a number of you smiling through your pain because that's just what happens when you get older. Well, Israel began to groan. They groaned in their sin, the consequences of their choices. Now, the great news this morning is that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And he's a God who is very patient with us. 
when we make bad choices and we go down wrong roads. Look at verse 18 in chapter 2 again. And notice that God is a God of pity. He's a God of compassion toward us. And that word pity in verse 18 of Judges 2, that Hebrew word means to sigh, or it means to breathe strongly towards someone, to show them consolation or compassion. And so, so God would send a judge. He would raise up a judge to rescue them when they would, be, when they would call out in their distress and their pain. And the last word that gives you a picture of their history is the word saving, salvation. You see, we have an incredibly patient God. Wow, is he patient? And I'm a testimony of his patience because if he wasn't patient, zap, I wouldn't even be standing up here this morning and you wouldn't be sitting there. He's the God of the second chance. He's a God of grace. He's a God that's kind. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's just. And he allowed Israel to be in bondage and experience pain because he's a holy God. But the other side of that is he's a good, forgiving, and merciful God. And so he would raise up judges, and he would send a judge to save them. And that's the central message of the Bible. You see, these judges are just types. They're foreshadowings of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great rescuer, the supreme rescuer, the one who rescues us from our sin. And they would come and and they would would save them out of the, the mess that they made of themselves. And he... Help get them back on the right path for God. And so we have this story of all of these judges. And the four verses you need to remember as you remember the book of Judges then are Judges chapter 17, verse 6, Judges 18, verse 1, Judges 19, verse 1, and Judges 21, verse 25. You got your Bible, turn to the last verse of the book. Judges 21, verse 25. Because this, this description is repeat, repeated over and over again. And this is the story of the book of Judges. It ends with this verse. In those days there was no king in Israel. And so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And you get in a bunch of trouble when you do what's right in your own eyes. If you don't follow the king and do what he wants you to do, then we, we all end up. We end up in a mess, and we need rescuing. And so that brings us to the story of Shamgar, one of 13 judges who served during this 300-year period of time between Moses and Joshua and their first kings, Saul, who followed Samuel, the last judge who was really a priest as well. Uh, in Israel. And we just don't know much about him. Just one verse of Scripture, verse 31 in chapter 3. 
But God raised up Shamgar to rescue his people on this occasion. Now, you've heard of Gideon, and you've heard of Samson, and we've heard of Deborah, and some of you this morning have heard of Jephthah, but Shamgar? Not many of us have heard of Shamgar. Just one little verse of Scripture, and not much is said about him. We know really nothing about him. We don't even know the meaning of his name. Possibly, according to Warren Wearsby, his son meant son of battle because he was the son of Anath, and Anath was a Canaanite <clears throat> goddess of war. So maybe his name meant son of battle. We don't know for sure. He was probably a farmer, so he would have fit well here in the hill towns with all of the dairy farms. And what we know is that he responded when God prompted him, and God used him mightily to kill 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, notice the details of the days in which Shamgar lived. Turn to Judges chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 for just a moment. And notice... what the Bible tells us. In the days of Shamgar, verse 6 of chapter 5 in the book of Judges, son of Anath, the son of battle, in the days of Jehil, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways and the villagers ceased in Israel. According to Matthew Henry, this is a description of no trade, no travel, and no farming, no tillage. The highways were abandoned. Travelers were kept to the, to the byways. In other words, they went off on side roads because all of these Philistines and Moabites, whoever they were, uh, were along the highways. And so they would, would take side roads just to stay safe. And the farming had ceased because the villages were empty. And we read that he took this ox goad and he kills 600 Philistines with it. Now, according to the sources I read, an ox goad was eight feet long and six inches on the thick end. On the thick end, it had a, 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 a place a, a, that, that was a, kind of a small hole that you could scrape off the, the dirt that got on the oxen cart. But on the thin end, it was just a little thin spear-like mechanism that the farmer would use to, to poke that ox to keep it going. And so he took this, this farming tool and he killed 600 Philistines with it. The moral and the social conditions that, that Shamgar lived in were probably not much different than the moral and social conditions of the nation that we're living in and the world that we're living in today. Not much difference. And yet God uses this man that we know very little about to bring great glory to himself and to accomplish his purposes. Now, I want you to notice his response as we close this out this morning. As God comes and taps him on the shoulder and whispers in his ear, notice how Shamgar responds when God calls his number. 
And before we we look at his response, I want to just say this. If it had been me and I had been living at the time of Shamgar, I would have been tempted to respond in one of two ways. I probably would have been overcome with fear, paralyzed by fear, or just overwhelmed with a feeling of, Lord, are you sure you called the right person up? Are you sure you weren't calling up Samson, the strongest man alive, or Gideon, the man of of, of great valor? Isn't that who you want? I would have been overcome with these feelings of inadequacy or paralyzed by fear, like, well, Lord, are are you sure you got the right person here? I remember the first church that I served in Kansas City, Missouri. It was a midtown, urban, inner city church. And it was just beset. The neighborhood that the church was in, it was just beset with problems. And I used to tell people when I would go down the block, this is like hunting for elephants with a BB gun. The problems were just so great. They were so overwhelming. It was like you were just trying to go out and kill an elephant with a BB gun. I think that that Shamgar probably felt much that way. It was like trying to hunt elephants with a BB gun. And so he felt probably terribly inadequate. And he was probably tempted to, to be fearful, feeling that God had the wrong person. And yet God chose to use him in a great way. This last Tuesday, I made the scene at the Tuesday morning men's Bible study or men's group, whatever they want to call it, coffee group, for the last time. And uh, I think there were 12 guys sitting around the table, almost as many as the book of Judges. And it was a motley crew. (laughs) You know, these judges were, it was a motley crew, these people that God chose to use, people like Sam Shamgar and Othniel and these guys. And we're sitting there, and the devotion on Tuesday morning this last week, it was very interesting. It was on the barriers and the blessings of inadequacy. And, you know, if we had taken an opinion poll and gone around the table, I'm sure that all 11 of us, maybe only, only 11, not 12, but all of us, if we'd gone around, all of us would have confessed that we, we probably have bumped up against the barrier of inadequacy, but experienced the blessing when we do what God calls us to do, even though we felt it couldn't be done. And I think that's the position that Shamgar was probably in as God comes to him here. But there's a reason that God chooses to use people like Shamgar and people like Russ and people like Randy and people like Louise, and people like Jeff, and people like Paul Mackey and Kiki, and people like Angel, and people like Dennis, and people like Don. Because we are inadequate. And the truth is, apart from the grace of God, we can't be used. But with the grace of God, with the grace of God, and nothing but an ox goad, God can do incredible things like killing 600 of the enemy 
if we're willing to be used by God. And so God chooses to use Shamgar. And Shamgar allows himself to be used. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 2 calls it the street aroma of Christ because it's Jesus that people need and it's Jesus that we want them to see. And that's why 2 Corinthians 4 says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, just cracked clay pots so that the excellency of the power can be God and Jesus that people see. And so what did Shamgar do when God whispered in his ear and tapped him on the shoulder? Well, he did three things. And this isn't original with me. I think this came from Lauren Sani, the president of the Navigators. He did three things. This is worth writing down. He started where he was, and he used what he had, and he did what he could. It always makes sense to start where you are because you can't start where you aren't. And that's usually how God uses us. Bloom where you're planted. Don't bloom where you're not. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, he wrote, it's probable that Shamgar was following the, the, the plow when the Philistines made an inroad upon the country to ravage it. And God put it in his heart to oppose them, and that's exactly what he did. He started where he was, on the back of that plow with that that ox goat. And that's the second point. He used what he had. The Bible doesn't tell us that he used a sword or that he used a slingshot like David or that he used a six-shooter or a shotgun. The Bible tells us he used an ox goad because that's what he had, an ox goad. And God used him with that ox goad. And then he did what he could. He didn't bring down the entire house like Samson did in his great strength at the end of this book when, when he brought down almost the, the whole temple on all of those, those Philistines. And he didn't wipe out the whole Mennonite army like Gideon, but he did what he could. He killed 600 Philistines with that ox code. It reminds me of um, the story of Wall Drugscore. Now, I know I'm speaking to New Yorkers, but I'm going to ask you a very important question now. How many of you have ever been to South Dakota? Wow! Okay, a bunch of you. How many of you have been to Wall Drugstore? All right. Then you know what I'm talking about. Here's this little place out in the middle of nowhere by the Badlands in South Dakota. This multi-million dollar business. Literally. Multi-million dollar business. Do you know how they got started? They were almost broke. They were out there in South Dakota in the middle of nowhere. This guy had bought this drugstore and they were going broke. And so they started giving away free water. And people would stop. And they began selling things. And now you know the rest of the story. But they started where they were. And they used what they had, free water. 
Who's going to stop for free water? Well, maybe somebody driving down the highway in South Dakota in the Badlands where it's hot. They used what they had, and they did what they could. And that's what Samson did. That's what Gideon did. And that's what Shamgar does in this story. And that's really the story of all of us this morning, isn't it? And so I'm going to ask you to just bow your head with me now this morning because it's invitation time. Please bow your head and keep your eyes closed. What is God saying to you today? If you walk outside these doors and you walk down 143 or 401 or whatever road you choose to go up and you look at the houses and you look at the hill towns and you travel 25 minutes north to Albany, the truth is this world is not any different than the world that Shamgar was living in. It's a broken world that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've thanked God for the last two years. But next week is a new chapter in the life of this church. And God is bringing you a new pastor in his sovereignty and a wonderful wife to come with him. And this pastor, I spent almost four hours with him at supper one night has a heart that loves Jesus and a heart for his word. And he wants to see the hill towns reach for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to ask you, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you be willing to rededicate your life this morning to the Lord? Today, this Sunday, in preparation for next Sunday and what God wants to do in the weeks and months ahead, in the years ahead here in the hill towns, would you be willing to just give yourself in a new way to the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, Lord, here I am. I'm not Gideon. I'm not Samson. I'm not Noah. I'm not Daniel. But I'm me. Here I am. Please come into my heart and life in a new way this morning, Lord. I want to give myself to you in a new way again. I want to serve you. If you'd be willing to give yourself to the Lord in that way today, would you just raise your hand for a moment? I'd like to see your hand. Anybody, everybody. Lord, I just thank you for all of these hands that I see that are going up today. Take these people. Take this elder board. Please take this church family and use them in service for Christ. Use them for your honor and glory to reach many for Christ in the days ahead. I ask it in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. Now, maybe you didn't raise your hand. God's going to give you a second chance because we're going to stand now and sing our closing hymn.